Hello and welcome to another episode of the Magis Podcast. I will be your host for this episode, Griffin Della Pena. In today's episode, we will kind of dissect and go in the behind the scenes of what it takes in collegiate athletics, specifically here at Canisius College. Today's guest will be Matt Reitenauer, the Associate Athletic Director for Communications. So we hope that you enjoy. The Magis Podcast, Student-Faculty Dialogues at Canisius College, is a production of the Department of Communication, offering majors in Strategic Com, Integrated Marketing Communications, Journalism, and Digital Media Arts. My name is Matt Reitauer. I'm the Associate Athletic Director for Communications here at Canisius. This is my 20th year working here. I started here as a graduate assistant back in 2001 and kind of worked my way up through the organizational chart. Um, I oversee all things external, outwardly facing within our athletic department. So that runs from everything from communications, digital media, our ESPN production efforts, marketing, ticket sales, licensing, branding, our website, our radio broadcasts for men's basketball. So there's a lot of things under my umbrella. I really enjoy what I do. It's exciting and you know the, the promotional aspect, getting to work with student athletes and being paid to watch sports. It's something that I couldn't ever ask anything to be better than. So it's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, effort, and energy, but uh, it's something that I'm truly passionate about and I really enjoy doing. I'm Hunter Lover Cummins. I'm a junior here at Canisius. Um, I study journalism and communications with a sports broadcasting concentration. I like to pursue a career in sports journalism or sports communications, whether that be in the media or on the reporting side of things. And I'm also just really ex excited to take a deep dive into what goes into the athletic communications field with a with an employee here at Canisius. So look, very much looking forward to this. Absolutely, and glad again to have you both here today. We'll start with you, Matt, and you mentioned that you've been here. This is your 20th year already. Can you talk about what has changed in the industry and what you've seen over that time, again, starting with a grad student to your position now here at Canisius? Everything has changed. The immediacy of our profession, uh, and not just at the collegiate level, but obviously at the professional level, even somewhat at the high school level with social media, change the way things operate how you handle um, different situations but you know it's just if there's not a score update or if you don't have a message posted to your social media you're just really missing the boat so I think that's been the biggest change technology obviously in all walks of life have changed the way things are done same can be said for us I mean you know going back to you know I think back to like 2005 2006 we were in a pretty good spot if you know, we had a home game and the live stats worked, right? Like that was like a big deal. Um, and then it's kind of progressed. And, you know, 15 years ago, if you'd have told me that we would be producing games with our students, with our staff for distribution on ESPN, I'd have said you were nuts. We kind of came up with the idea, looking around and seeing how some other schools were doing it, some larger level schools, some schools even within our own conference. And we sat down with ESPN and said we wanted to get involved and the conference office, the, the MAC office kind of jumped on board with us and you know we were able to essentially build a production room that you would replicate a production truck and we were able to put that together and have our students from day one working cameras, replay, graphics, all those types of things. So that kind of effort ha has really changed and I think the way people follow and the way they consume media. You know if you go back and look at game recaps that used to be on our website even five, six years ago, very long, very wordy, you know, breaking down certain, you know, uh, I'll use basketball example, you know, this scoring run in the first half, this scoring run in the second half. Now, you know, analytics show us that 
people go on our website and they'll read a story or an article for on average for a minute and 37 seconds and then from there their first click is either to video or the box score so as a staff we sat down and said listen we're writing these stories and there's 6,000 word recaps and, and people aren't reading all of that they're reading the first two paragraphs they're reading the game notes and they're clicking in the next the next thing uh, because attention spans are different and the way people consume media is different so always trying to be you know cutting edge and not cutting edge per se but following the trends um, that's been important to me and I think we've done a pretty good job with that here with our operation and you know it's you know as you go through and look at different things every summer and you know do we still need to do this or do we need to improve this but a lot of it will come back to the use of social media technology you know and just trying to put that stuff together so I think that's been the biggest change and with that being said, that has to be very tough for you as one of the leaders of the athletic department, having to navigate this like evolving world that we now live in with that. And this is for you, Hunter, too, to just see, you know, how your expectations in getting into the industry have changed. But this has to be very chaotic for you at times and how to adapt to this. Because again, like you said, this is a lot of testing things, see if they're going to work. Uh, talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, at times, is it kind of hard to you know, stomach all this stuff and have to adapt to everything that you have to do as a, you know, communication staff to be successful. Yeah, and again, you know, you, we have to look at the different ways that we communicate with our constituents. So our constituent base is, it's broad, right? It's, it's the aforementioned season ticket holder who is older and doesn't have a social media, you know, they don't have a presence on social media, but they are on Facebook. So we have found that our alumni interaction on our Facebook page is strong. So making sure that as we're doing all this stuff for Twitter and Instagram, you know, make sure we're still taking care of Facebook because a core group of our constituents are there. Do you, uh, to follow up, do you have a policy of responding to uh, other users on uh, social media to maybe garner the fan base a little bit? Or uh, is it strictly that we will tweet or we will post, but we will not respond to any it's commenting on our page so the interaction like the back yeah, absolutely yeah so we will like that's one of the things that's like one of this year's focuses right is to be more proactive be more responsive and, and to drive more engagement and those are three different pieces they're different because they take different kinds of mindsets but if someone were to tweet at us and ask a question about hey can you clarify the ticket price I mean that's customer service that's an that's an easy piece. You know, I, I've mentioned this in the past that, you know, if other schools will post stuff and things like that, you know, we'll kind of lay low. I don't necessarily need to be getting into a Twitter war with another school in our league. Every once in a while, we'll poke the bear if we, if we feel that, you know, we've got a good spot, we've got a good leg to stand on. And it's in good fun too, right? Like I'm not looking to make our Twitter feeds be, you know, kind of a bully. Like, you know, you look back, the LA Kings were good at it, you know, posting stuff on social a number of years ago. Everybody wanted to be in that space. I, you know, that takes a special person who's running that account specifically. And the way we're set up is I don't have a social media person per se who oversees all the accounts. So it's done by a different number of people. We're all kind of speaking in the same voice. And then to be engaging. Uh, and I think that's the hardest part is to try and drive engagement for how we do things and sell things and get people involved. Um, and, you know, there's obviously different ways to go about it. But again, we don't have 
a social media team per se. It's a group of us who are doing a number of other things. So for the engagement end of it, uh, we've got to be a little bit more strategic and think out some things. We've got some things actually coming this week that we're working on that I think will kind of start to at least get the bus off the lot to see, you know, kind of kick the tires on a little mm -hmm. bit. And, you know, we've sat in meetings, you know, last week and we think it's going to be really a gangbuster kind of operation. We may roll it out there and it might be a lukewarm response and then we'll kind of go back to the drawing board. But yeah, we, we have those things. To me, that's important because that's the beauty of social media, right? Like you could go and tweet at the bills today and get a response and feel pretty good about yourself um, because it kind of social media has closed a lot of the gaps. You know, you see it a lot where people will tweet at, you know, golfers or announcers and stuff like that, and they can have an interaction. I mean, 15, 10 years ago, that wasn't a possibility. Now shifting more into the scheduling side of things, mm -hmm. because that's something that you also oversee specifically with men's basketball. Can you take us through what it takes to schedule non-conference games per se? Is there you know, dialogue between you and head coach Reggie Witherspoon with that? Or is it strictly just, you know, you, you have contact with other schools or that yeah. whole process so, that it takes? So that process there. So Bill Maher, our director of athletics, he's always been a mi of the mindset, let the teams schedule their non-conference. Set your non-conference up for the way that you're going to be successful when the conference season starts. So that goes from men's basketball, soccer, softball, all the way through our athletic department. We work as a sports supervisor, I work with volleyball, our softball program and our golf program. Uh, all the sports supervisors have contacts and, and confirmation and conversations with our coaches and say, okay, what are you thinking here? And you know, I can use volleyball as an example. Um, Coach Thompson came to me and she's like, hey, we have an opportunity to open up in a tournament at Michigan State. It's gonna be Michigan State, Western Michigan and a team to be announced in us. It's gonna be a challenge. We're gonna play a number of seniors I think we're ready to go take this challenge on. And you know, you just kind of have those conversations. You look at things budgetarily, you look at things RPI wise, you look at things, you know, is this a game we can win? You had asked about basketball. Uh, Chris Hawkins, who's an assistant coach, he's been with Coach Witherspoon for a long time, going back to the UB days. Hawk is responsible for doing the scheduling for men's hoops. So normally what happens is those guys have been in the business for so long. They have so many contacts, right? And they'll, they'll call around and obviously there's a certain element to our scheduling, you know, for men's, women's basketball, hockey, where there's what we refer to as buy games or, or pay games where a power five school will come in and say, okay, you know, Canisius, we'll give you X amount of dollars. You'll come down here. We're playing you on this day. We're playing you at this time. And it is what it is. So coach Hawkins works with that, but it's not just like, oh, hey, these guys are going to give us the most money. and you know, we can go get a game here. It, it, there's a lot of ins and outs that go with it. They look a lot at returning rosters and how the team has been. RPI is a thing as well. Seeing where that team's been traditionally the last three, four years, kind of put some things together. So Coach Hawkins puts that together, presents it to Coach Witherspoon, and then it kind of moves on from there. You know, and obviously you're trying to get a balance of road games, home games. You get a lot of questions you know, hey, you know, you guys are going to open up at, the, at Miami in November. Are they coming back next year? No, probably not. You know, along the same lines as when we went to Florida State a few years ago, it's just, you know, those schools don't play road games. It's not just us, but, you know, it becomes a bit of a scheduling dynamic that goes around and, and trying to put those things together. And it, it, it does not happen overnight. I know Coach Hawkins usually starts working on that schedule, you know, February, and then we announce it 
in like July or August. So it is a long drawn out process. You're working on dates, you waiting on the academic calendar, making sure guys aren't missing too much class, finals, when are, you know, when's finals week going to fall? How can we, you know, work that in? So there's a lot of ins and outs that go to it. It's the same with our other teams, right? Like softball, they're looking at when's spring break, when's Easter break, when does the conference schedule start? How can we fit this in? What can we afford? You know, do we really want to take a bus all the way from Buffalo to North Carolina and then go back again to North Carolina the following weekend? So it's a, you know, scheduling is a real grind. To follow up with that, would there be a difference in uh, contacting the, the athletic department of, say, East Carolina versus Youngstown State, like two different conferences? Is there a different type of communication that goes in to each of those schools, one being better than the other for scheduling, or is it actually pretty similar? It's pretty similar, actually. So, you know, this, the way it generally works is, you know, hey, we've got this open date. We're already down south, you know, coming back north let's call these five schools, right? And we'll call, you know, Eastern Michigan, you know, North Central Carolina, you call a bunch of them, you know, and, and just trying to start the mix and match there and see how it works. Obviously, schools within our region and our, within our footprint, right? Like a school like Robert Morris, you know, Youngstown State, you mentioned Cleveland State, those make sense for both schools because that's a three hour drive. It's not a huge lift. There's no flights involved. You can probably get them to come back the following year. So you get like a home and home kind mm -hmm. of thing set up, you know, and they're a similar size school, similar size program. So it gives you some different options there. But like, you know, people think, you know, well, you just call and, you know, it just kind of happens. I know years ago, one of our assistant coaches, previous staff told me, you know, we didn't have a buy game. There was no buy game to be had. We were calling around. The program wasn't at a great place RPI wise. Somebody lost a game on a schedule, got moved around, shipped, you know, and then lo and behold, Washington State called and offered a lot of money for us to play on a very specific day. So Kenesha's went ahead and took that. But, it, you know, it's funny how it breaks out sometimes. You know, the longer you wait, the more desperate some of those schools become. Now with COVID and things like that and money not being what it is and be a little bit different. And, you know, people talk a lot about this alliance, you know, between the different conferences. You know, everyone's excited because that's going to set up great basketball and non-conference football games, stuff like that. That will, in my opinion, is going to squeeze schools like Canisius, Niagara, Buffalo, Bonaventure, Youngstown State, because those bigger pay games won't be there because, you know, a school like Miami will be like, okay, we'll go play UCLA. You know, that'll be an experience for our kids. So it'll just be a little bit different. So, but that, you know, obviously remains to be played out. But I know it is definitely, you know, calling around. It's not like, okay, we're going to do it you know, and mm -hmm. hope that it just works out and, and make it happen. There has so. to be a, a lot of communication between both A lot schools. of back and forth, absolutely. A lot of back and forth, days, what days work. You know, some schools, not us, but I know some schools work on like, okay, we're not playing them because they use a specific brand of basketball. I mean, it, it runs pretty deep, you know, even within our own league. So there's some different pieces that are out there. Absolutely. Sure. Now turning to not just non-conference games, but also neutral sites. So when you guys play on December 18th against UB at KeyBank Center, and also two years ago when you played St. Bonaventure there, what goes into the scheduling with that? Because KeyBank obviously has concerts and the Sabres and Bandits, so that also has to be a pretty big hassle for you guys as well. You know, for years, Kenesha's played all of their home games downtown. Uh, financially, obviously, it does. It, the model's not the same now as it was even in 1995, 1996 in that era. But to be able to do that, 
starts with going to the arena and saying, okay, what days are open? You know, what, what do you have? And the arena will come back and they'll put a hold on a date for us. They'll let the NHL know. They'll let the, the concert promoters folks know. And then it's just kind of, you know, filling in the back. It's kind of like setting up a puzzle. Like I've always told people, it's like building a puzzle and you get the four corner pieces are set with the four teams and then everything else kind of fills its way in. Now this year, the desire was to have all four of the local schools in the big four, Canisius, Buffalo, Bonaventure, and Niagara, we would play a doubleheader down there. And it's the desire of Canisius to continue to drive that big four uh, doubleheader downtown in an effort to continue to, to drive support behind local college basketball. Looking at the matchups there, would you say that it's an automatic, like right into the faces of the Albany uh, athletic directors to be able to play in an arena such as Key Bank and for Canisius when they've done that and maybe other cities uh, professional sports arenas is that just an automatic yes we will do that or is that kind of something that you would still want to consider yeah no I think from from Albany's standpoint right like it's win-win for them mm -hmm. they get to come into town you know there's a, a large alumni base for the University of Albany here in Buffalo and, and they're working on their end to, to try and solicit people to come to games and things like that so for them, it's a cool experience, right? Like it gets their guys an opportunity to play in a big time arena that's going to host NCAA tournament games. Damon is also going to play that day. So it'll actually be three games downtown on the 18th. Damon will play division two game, uh, Niagara and Albany and then Canisius and Buffalo. So, you know, Damon's looking at it too. Like they're excited because it gets their guys, you know, in a bigger venue and Anybody says they don't get fired up to play in that, uh, you know, building, they're kind of lying to you. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit different and, you know, it's a little bit colder because the ice is underneath and things like that. And the shooting, is, you know, the, the vision angles are different and things. But I, I think, you know, from that standpoint, anytime you get an opportunity to play in a bigger building, um, you know, in front of larger crowd with a big, you know, video board and stuff like that, you'd be hard pressed to have somebody turn it down, especially at the mid-major level. Now, yeah. obviously, those Power Five schools and things like that, uh, they've they've got different kind of drive. But for for what we're doing at this level, it's it's definitely you'd be hard pressed to find a time where it wasn't agreeable or wasn't a good idea. Absolutely. And you also kind of touched on it as well with March Madness coming back to Buffalo this year. Last time that they were here was back in 2017, and you had a role in that as well. So what will you be doing on Canisius's end when you guys technically host March Madness at Key Bank again in 2022? We are the, uh, there's really three hosts for the event here in Buffalo, Metro Atlantic Athletic Conference, Canisius, and Niagara. And it's really all hands on deck kind of effort. My job, I'm the media coordinator. It'll start up here in December. You know, we'll start sending out the credentialing uh, for the local media, get people taken care of. And then last time we hosted in 17 was the first time that I was the media director. I'd always helped out in, in some facet. And I could tell you it like you literally feel like you're working with your hair on fire for an entire week. Mm -hmm. So selection Sunday, you have no idea who's coming here. Like people were asking me, you know, like, oh, did you know Wisconsin's coming? No. We had no idea. Like, literally, you don't know. The teams don't know until they put it on the TV screen. Like, the committee comes out with the bracket. They give it to the graphics guy at CBS. And those are the only people that know until it's on the television. So we literally sat in a room downtown in a conference room. And I had an email written out to all the communications folks from the schools that were coming here. Explained what we needed, how to contact me if you needed this. You know, just kind of give them a lay of the land. And... You know, then we're sitting there and they, you know, these games will be Thursday in Buffalo. And I was like, okay, well, that's four teams. And then, 
you know, here's Villanova, and, and that was cool because they were the defending national champion. You know, and they'll play the winner of the play-in game between New Orleans and Mount St. Mary's. And I was like, well, that means now we got to service nine teams because we don't know who's coming, and we can't do everything all at once. You know, that was an added piece. I don't know if you remember in 2017, there was a huge winter storm, like a nor'easter that came up. Villanova came in early. Bucknell bust up. Wisconsin wanted to come right from the Big Ten Championship. They're calling me on my cell phone to ask me for weather, and I'm like, guys, I mean, you can Google it as well as I can. I'm not a meteorologist. Like, but being able to put all that together and then, you know, working with CBS. Some producers like their broadcast locations set up at courtside to be three seats, and then there's the open aisle where the cameraman sits, and then two seats for stage manager and stats and stuff. Some people like it to be two and three, but all of that bases off of how you lay out the rest of the cards on the on the media seating. And the NCAA, you know, they give you a manual and it's 200 some odd pages. And I knew that thing front and back last time and I have it now and haven't read it yet, but I know, you know, I'll know it again, but it's as detailed down to what font and size they use for the name tags on the credentials. And you just kind of check the boxes and go through and, and put stuff together and work your way through it. And then, you know, just be hospitable and help teams out. And hopefully you can give the media and the media relations folks from those schools the best possible experience while they're here because, you know, it is something special. It's the NCAA tournament and it's never to be, you know, just assume that you're going. So the, the other piece that I ha didn't really factor in was, you know, the teams get announced. They don't know where they're going. Neither does the media, right? So the media finds out. So they have until like 6 o'clock on Monday to apply for credentials. And then at like 6.05, you get an email and there's, you know, 150 credentials that we now have to print out and make and, you know, put all together. That was a lot because those guys were in town on Wednesday and, you know, we're moving. Like it's mm -hmm. time to get going. At one point, Villanova was playing Wisconsin. So a lot of my friends from back home in Pennsylvania are watching Villanova. And they're texting me, and my one buddy texts me. He's like, you look exhausted. And I was like, I am exhausted. Like, <laughs> this is exhausting. It's awesome. But, like, that adrenaline was starting to run out a little mm. bit. So I guess for me personally this time is to understand the, you know, it's going to be from Sunday, Selection Sunday, all the way through to the Saturday afternoon, evening, whenever we, you know, draw our games on the, on the TV window and kind of go from there. So. so when it comes to communication with teams that will be coming to town, for the one instance that – we didn't know if they were the New Orleans privateers. Yep. How much of that communication is not necessarily wasted, but how much uh, did it take to talk with them? And then it just doesn't matter. Yeah, like that, that kind of goes back. Like I actually felt bad for, so I actually know the men's basketball SID at Mount St. Mary's. He was at Niagara years ago. So I reached out to him. I reached out to the, to the guy at, at New Orleans. And I was like, okay, fellas, here's what I need. And then I'll stay away until one of you is coming here to Buffalo. <laughs> and I didn't even know this, right? Like, so they played Tuesday. Mount St. Mary's wins. They do their post-game media. And they were on an airplane from Dayton to Buffalo. They got in at, like, 3 o'clock in the morning. But I, I, from my standpoint, I, I looked at it. I was like, okay, if I was in their shoes, what would I need to take care of? I would mean, obviously need to take care of getting everything ready for Dayton and turning around in, you know, 40-some-odd hours. We've got a game on national television and I've got to, you know, fill in Kevin Harlan on what Canisius is all about. But I also know that hopefully we're going to win that game. We're going to move on. Uh, and then I'm going to have another set of people to work with. So I kind of went to them and said, give me these base items, and then I'll touch base with you when you're on your way here to Buffalo. And 
I think that seemed to work out pretty well. So it's, that's just part of the drill, right? You get those, those first four games, you're probably sky high because you're in the tournament. And then there's probably that, you know, punch of reality down the line where from a communication standpoint, you're like, oh man, like, you know, we're going to play in Dayton and then we're going to City X like within five hours. Like that's, it's a wild ride mm -hmm. in, a, in a quick amount of time. So. Absolutely. So those are probably a lot of happy memories for you. Now mm -hmm. I'm going to get into something that as a department probably traumatizes you if I bring this up. But when COVID first hit in the spring of 2020, what was going through your head when it was first announced? And then just take me through that entire ride through 2020, all the different protocols that you guys had to have. And again, I feel like that was something you had to learn on the fly because in your 20 years of experience, you know a lot of stuff, but that was the first time for anybody that had to experience what we went through. You know, kind of reevaluate and get better and move on. Um, but with COVID, we were actually at the MAC basketball championship in Atlantic City. So our women's basketball team had played and been eliminated. Our men's team had played and been eliminated. We had stayed in Atlantic City. And, you know, that second day, like the day after we had been eliminated, like I started really kind of paying attention to the news and, and the Twitter and stuff. And, you know, it had moved, you know, elevated to a pandemic status. And I started thinking to myself, like, this is going to cause a delay in something, right? Like they're going to shut some things down. And me and, and a couple of buddies and, and some people from around the league, we went to the two men's basketball games. It was Siena and Manhattan, and then the second game was Iona St. Peter's. St. Peter's had won, and it was kind of a you know, you know, wild ending and stuff. And then we walked out of the arena, and then you started seeing the stuff like the Utah Jazz canceled the game in the middle of the game, and then it was becoming a little bit more of a reality point that okay, this is going to start like the Big Ten done playing their tournament like life is beginning to go into a, a lower gear, right? Like it's starting to slow down a little bit and there's a lot of unknowns and Major League Baseball was starting to shut down and hockey. And so that next day we were in Atlantic City and we were going to leave. And I, something about it just said that we should hang tight. We were still playing MAC basketball games. I think the MAC was the last conference to shut down their tournament. One of the guys that was in our travel party was Andy Helwig, who was our radio guy. He was doing some side work for ESPN, calling women's games in a tournament. So he had a women's basketball game that he was broadcasting at like three o'clock. Uh, so we were going to leave him stranded behind. So we were kind of, you know, waiting to see. And I knew the ADs of the league were all obviously in Atlantic City. They were meeting on Wednesday around lunchtime to try and get their arms around it. So had some conversations with our director of athletics, Bill Maher, and he's like, listen, I think we're going to probably pause this for like two weeks and let ourselves catch our breath. And, uh, and in that time frame, I had written a release and kind of explained, you know, what the procedure was going to be. And, you know, we're going to sit it out until probably, you know, April 15th and, you know, after Easter and kind of get back to it. Then the Ivy League came out and said they were shutting everything down. Then the Big Ten came out and said no more basketball tournament. And that's where the, the dominoes started to fall. And then that e afternoon, early afternoon, the MAC presidents got on a conference call and they decided that they were going to follow the Ivy League and the Patriot League and shut down sports until the fall. At first, it was a reactionary, like, okay, we've got to get this messaging out. That press release I had written before deleted that. Actually, I think I still have that on my, in <laughs> my file someplace, just as like, you know, something for the Hall of Fame or you know, archives someday, but, but okay, we've got to get the messaging out. Like this is the messaging and the presidents have voted this. I mean, Lisa Leota, our senior women administrator, she was with us in Atlantic city as well. I mean, 
our softball team was on the highway driving to go to a tournament, I think, at Lake James Madison. We were supposed to go to Michigan that day, right. and we, were, we got cut like, yeah. right then and there. Baseball so. was getting ready to go on a bus and go to Michigan to play a Power 5 school, and they went from going to play a Power 5 school to your season's over. Yeah. And same thing, you know, softball, they're driving down the highway, and we call them, we're like, you got to turn around. Like, season's over. Like, it's done. It was just kind of surreal. And then we got back here, and it was like, okay, now what? Right? Like, you know, this is what I've done, you know, from – literally the middle of August until Memorial Day weekend, year-round for 18, 20 years, this is what I do. And now it's not a thing anymore. And then as we kind of work through things and we realize, okay, the year's over, you know, we had sponsors that we owed things to. So, you know, we didn't want to just stop doing stuff. So that's where we started to come up with some different creative content ideas and social media things and trying to, you know, senior salute for our spring sports seniors that – you know, their careers were over. And then, you know, as we slowly started to ramp back up in the summertime and we're like, okay, we're going to start fall sports and things. And it was always like, okay, we're here. Oh, no. And then it would fall off. But I, I tell people a lot, like the one thing that gave, that gave me a lot of energy last year was we were kind of like spinning our wheels in the mud. And then we got an email the day after Labor Day last year. And it was like, okay, we're playing basketball this year. There might not be anybody in your buildings, but these are Here's the document that's going to get you there. And from that point forward, it has been just kind of a day-to-day, -day, like, operation. And we were able to play basketball. And a lot of the basketball recommendations, right, were like, you know, your band could be in the building, but they need to be 145 feet from the floor. While in our building, 145 feet from the floor is literally being on Main Street. So, like, that wasn't going to work for us. So we had to inform the band, like, we can't use you guys this year. We'll get to you next year. And then we had a number of COVID pauses with men's basketball. And then hockey, we got them up and running, and then we had COVID pauses. Women's basketball, we got them up and running, and then we had, you know, a tremendous amount. And then it was just kind of like, okay, what is today's four things that need to get knocked off the list? And that's kind of the way we operated. And then somehow, March 1st rolled around. We went to the basketball tournament in Atlantic City. We came home, and we were playing soccer on, like, that Thursday. And we're like, all right, let's go. And it was just kind of like rapid fire. And then it became, you know, we covered 70 sporting events or 80, I think it was like 86 sporting events in like 71 days, home and road. And it was just, again, working with your hair on fire. But I think we're in a better place now. I think the world's in a better place. You know, sports have proven that they can go on. But, yeah, there are things that come up on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm like, okay, I don't really know how we're going to do this but we'll figure it out. It's kind of been that way literally for the last 19 months or so, however long it's been. Absolutely. So from a fan perspective, what would the biggest differences be for this upcoming season of sports or that we're currently in compared to the one prior to the year of COVID? Because uh, obviously the COVID year, no fans, but fans before that and after that, what do you see as the biggest differences to compare between, I believe that'd be the 2019-ish seasons and then 2021? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I think for, you're talking about fans for Canisius, Absolutely. right, specifically. Yep. So I think you look at it, right, like, you know, I've mentioned this before. Some of our season ticket base, they're, they're a little bit older in age. They may not be interested in coming onto a college campus. You know, I think some people are going to be interested in getting back to it, right? Like, you look at the Bills game yesterday. I mean, people are just chomping at the bit. They do stuff. They go to shades, go to shows, like, just be able to go out to dinner. Like, things that I think people kind of started to take for granted and then – haven't had them uh, now to come back. There'll still be some protocols and, mm -hmm. and some things like, you know, that'll be taken care of. 
how things work as far as, you know, within our building, we're still working through it. I mean, it's literally, I, before I came in to see you guys, I was in a meeting to set up another meeting on how, what our product and, and productivity and what our game, like energy atmosphere is going to be starting with hockey, right? Like it's easy now because we're outside for soccer and things like that, but hockey, not our building, what the protocols are, what do we need to follow from, you know, the county and, and stuff like that. And then basketball with our building being the way it is, um, how can we f move people in and out effectively? There's a way around everything. Just doing it smart and putting people at ease that, you know, I'm going to go to a basketball game and enjoy myself and not have to worry about, you know, this or that. So we'll, we'll kind of work through it and, you know, Whatever I would tell you now, I would be willing to bet by Halloween will be different. Be willing to be, you know, be different by Thanksgiving, and then again when everybody comes back for the second semester. So it's just kind of, uh, you know, stay loose, stay fluid, and be ready to kind of act on the fly. Absolutely. I believe that's going to do it for us today here on the Majus Podcast. Again, big thanks to Matt right now for talking to us as well as Hunter Lober Cummins. Thank you for listening to this episode, and we will see you next time.